In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I think the enemy knows exactly what it is that makes a man's heart come alive. And so there's an assault against that. Unfortunately, so many of us choose stability. Uh, we want to live in the known world. Uh, we want safety and security. We'll choose that over this adventure. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you into the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute you. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of... The Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the producer, co-host, and the backbone of the Men in the Arena podcast, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. You're doing good, too. I know. I'm having a hard time. I want to say Man Card Podcast, but we've actually switched the name to Men in the Arena podcast, so you might notice that change. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm really excited, Dale, about today's guest. Uh, he is a man of, an, of adventure. He's a pilot. Uh, he's a mover of people, literally and figuratively. Uh, I believe he's kind of a guy like John Eldridge who says, uh, every man has an adventure to live as a core purpose in life. And so I'm really excited to have this guy on our show. And I think our guy's going to really uh, be pumped when they listen to this. So tune in, guys, and, and get ready to rock and roll. So before we do, though, do you have a shout out or anybody write an iTunes review? I do. We had, Sweet. We had a guy that uh, just Chut Chut is what his put his name on here. I don't know what Chut Chut means, but... Hey, if you, uh, that's you, shoot me an email. We want to send you some swag out. Um, swag, not swag. Swag. Swag, swag. Yeah. So uh, it's just cool hearing uh, what's happening. And uh, this guy is like, hey, man, I've grown closer in my relationship with God through this. Well, so, and yesterday we had our biggest day of downloads in the history of our podcast. So this thing is taken out, taken off. You guys keep writing those reviews. Uh, that's a huge blessing for us. And so, hey, Dale, do you got a man word for me today? And I'm going to guess it. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with the word adventure. <laughs> I was going to say, man, <laughs> come on, did I'm I get it? Throw something at you. If it was you don't either that it. or frontier. Yeah, okay, okay, man. adventure. So talk adventure. to me about adventure. Oh man, as well, we should have an adventurous soul. Just uh, and we don't want to be living in a mundane life, just punching a clock and and uh, not being alive inside. And so we we got to create things or just go for it uh, in some things and live an adventure. Um, our kids need to see us living an adventurous lifestyle. Um, and uh, this morning, I at 5 a.m. I dropped my oldest off. She's 21. Uh, for six, she's going at the airport. She's headed to Slovakia for six months. Wow, that's awesome! So adventure, baby. <laughs> well, I think you said it right. I think uh, adventure brings a man to life. Right. Without adventure, a man is gets stuck in a rut. And we need adventure. We need that. We need that moment to go to go conquer something or, or kill something or attack something or, <laughs> or or survive something. And so, hey, I want to talk about. I want to jump right into this. I'm going to bring in my new friend, Jeff Andration. How you doing, Jeff? Very good. Thank you, Jim. Hey, good. Hey, hey I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read a little bit about your bio here, just really, really quickly, so our guys get an understanding. This guy is a 61 year old man from Charlotte. North Carolina. He's been married to his wife, Dana, for 33 years. He has two adult children, and uh, he is an American Airlines pilot. He's been flying for 35 years, so a life of adventure. And so uh, we want to bring you on and say, welcome, my friend. Oh, good to be here. Man, I'm excited for this podcast, and we're gonna we're gonna loosen you up, Jeff. I don't think you need to be okay. loosened up as a pilot, but we're gonna loosen you up. We're gonna throw you <laughs> in what we call our rapid fire round. 
And for you, I've chose something new. I'm going to call it the go with the gut round. You're a pilot. You're used to making in-flight, uh, you know, uh, uh, mid-flight uh, adjustments and, That's right. and all that stuff, a little bit of turbulence. And so uh, I'm going to give you uh, five uh, brief little sentences, and I want you to just go with your gut and tell me what you think. Okay. okay. I'm ready. First one is this. What's one thing on your bucket list? You know, I want to take that walk in Spain. Um that they, uh, uh, yeah, you, you know the movie, right? Uh, you've watched it. And uh, The Way of St. James. And I want to do it, and I've got my wife on board too, but she says every night I want an Airbnb and a bottle of wine at the end of the walk. We just had... So if, I could, uh, if, if I could work it out, that's what I'm doing. We just had two guys on our podcast. They wrote the book together, All Push You. One is in a wheelchair, and the friend pushed him the entire 500-mile Camino de Santiago, the road of St. James through Spain. So if you do that trip, let me know because, you know, my wife's a flight attendant. You're a pilot. Flying is cheap. Yeah. I would rather do it with a bunch of people. But, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm halfway through that podcast you just mentioned. I haven't gotten to that point yet. So okay. I am going to go back and listen to that. Yeah, it's really, really powerful what those guys – they wrote a book called I'll Push You. So it's a great book to read. Wow. Very, very engaging. So, hey, next one, man. What's your life motto? Um, I like the idea of uh, travel lightly, but with great purpose. Oh, man. Can you unpack that? Yeah. You, you know, I just don't see the uh, – <clears throat> I, I don't like the idea of collecting a lot of things, uh, being too established. Uh, but, but be ready and light on your feet and ready to travel. Uh, I, I find – more in life out of going places and doing things and sort of being settled and having the large estate, that, that sort of thing. Uh, but what I, what I do, I always want there to be a purpose to it. Even if I'm going on vacation, I love the idea of read about it, watch it and go there. So we went to Rome last trip. So I read the book by sailors called Roma, got the, uh, uh, teaching company sent me a course on uh, Rome and then actually went there. So I'll, I'll, I'll read it, watch it, go there uh, kind of philosophy. I love that travel light. And as a pilot, you have to travel with that little teeny suitcase. So you learn to travel light. <laughs> that's uh, right. Everything has to have multiple purposes. And uh, that's good stuff, man. So, hey, do you have a favorite quote you want to share? Um, well, the uh, favorite quote I uh, use all the time is uh, I live by the George Burns philosophy of you're only as old as the woman you feel. Uh, so uh, Dana, my wife, is uh, only 53. She's eight oh. years younger than me. So uh, I, I love living by uh, that idea. Um, but I also love the quote uh, by Eric Wall. And uh, he says, genius is the capacity to retrieve wonder at will. Whoa. And at 60, you could still live in wonder. Uh, it's something that you have to work at, but it's a uh, it's a beautiful thing when that happens. Beauty is the ability to uh, to retrieve wonder at will. Uh, genius. Genius. Uh, genius is the uh, capacity to retrieve wonder at will. How would you describe and define wonder? You know, uh, I, sitting up there the other night over the Caribbean watching the sunset, and, and the stars were starting to come up, and we're sitting there with our app, uh, the night sky app and we're pointing out the stars to the passengers and we're sitting up there over the ocean and I'm, I'm in worship. It's a, it's a really a form of worship for me yeah. uh, to be up there like that. And I am in, I am in, I have a sense of wonder, uh, in that environment. Wow. That is really cool. You know, I, I like your George Burns quote for me when I put my hand on the small of my wife's back right before I go to sleep, I'm in awe and wonder. And she's yeah. 49, but she feels like she's 20. So <laughs> shout out to <laughs> oh, Shanna for oh, looking same good. Here. Uh, same here. <laughs> I, uh, it's a, uh, we're, yeah, we're married for 33 years and I can't keep my hands off her. Yeah. And so I find myself chasing her around the house quite a bit and I, I could still catch her. That's the good thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older than her, but I could still catch her. Or she just lets you. <laughs> I also know where our hiding spots are. So oh, that helps. Great. That, that helps. Game, yeah. That helps. In the mall? In the mall? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, 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 what is one thing, man, every man should know? Oh, gosh. Great. Uh, um, I think this idea of orientation, I, I really like what you're talking with Michael Thompson on one of your podcasts. Uh -huh. And, you know, it's this idea of uh, who is God, 
who am I and, and why am I here? Um, that sort of orientation is absolutely essential. It, it, if you understand that, so much of your life will make sense. Yeah, I, I just and we're gonna we're gonna have a guy on our show in a couple of weeks named Bud Lindstrom. He's a mentor of mine. He took Moda from a four million dollar company that was bankrupt to a five hundred million dollar company, and that's where the Portland Trailblazers play. And he talks about assignments. He says, you know, we all have an assignment, and just because you retire does not mean you don't have another assignment. And so that's right. what you're talking about. Like when we know who God is and we know who I am, then we can understand, you know, what the next assignment is. We're not defined by that assignment, but right. it's this next step in our orientation. So I love that. Exactly. And and if you understand who you are, you could begin to move in who you are as opposed to going down uh, a path that is not who you are, a diversion uh, from who you are. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we're all about uh, helping men become their best version. And I think that best version starts with who is God and who am I? And mm -hmm. so I think yeah. that's so powerful, man. So, hey, last rapid fire round question, which you may have already answered it, but I'm not sure. What is one thing every man should do? Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, I tell you, as we're talking about this, I do love the idea of being married. Uh, I would highly suggest that, uh, and it will, uh, things, th a lot of things get worked out in a man's life when he's married and she winds up being a wonderful governor, uh, for you and adds so much to your life. So I would say definitely, uh, find out who she is, go get her and, 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 uh, and get married. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm processing this Gillette commercial that came out yeah, you know this, and I, I don't like the word toxic masculinity. I think it's a political phrase. I think it's a phrase mm -hmm. that is used by people who are misandrous, you know, men haters. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I do like the term male versus man. And you know, a lot of these people that are getting bashed as as toxic are really single guys. I, yeah, <laughs> you know, women, mm -hmm. women. I mean, when my wife married me, I, I was a barbarian. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, my dog drank out of the toilet bowl because the water was always fresh. I mean, I mean, who needs dish soap when you can just use hot water? You know, I mean, I slept in a sleeping bag. I, I you know, put the toilet lid down. What, what, you know? And so my wife, and in a lot of ways, she civilized me, right? Yeah. And, as, and we're going to yeah. talk about the, the Wild West and, and how the West was won. And, and you know yeah. this, that Victorian area, the women came in and said, you want oh, some yeah. of this? Oh, you better fix that. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, so I think that's good. I think there's something with a woman that brings, uh, and I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong, I think that, you know, Erwin McManus talks about this barbarian way. I think that men resonate with being a, living a barbarian way, but we still shouldn't be barbarians in mm -hmm. essence. Right. I, does that make sense? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but if you look at the garden scene, you've got Adam, you've got the garden, you've got God. What more could you ask for? And yet he says it's not good that he would be alone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, out of his side comes Eve and and you know what happens after that, right? Well, it's funny because after God made Adam and Eve, it was then that he said, this is very good. Yes. Very yes. good. So there was a very yeah. good thing. And and I and also think it's funny that God took Adam, and I don't, I, I don't want to get theological here, but he made Adam in the wilderness and brought him into the garden. Right. He made Eve right. in the garden. So there's something about men that want right. to venture into the wilderness. Yes. It's so good. Well, hey, I, I want to focus on that phrase, but before that, I want our guys to get to know you. Uh, I, I, was, I just wrote a little note to Dale. I like this guy. I, I, I like what you have to say. I like how you say it. But tell us a little bit about more about you, Jeff, the things you enjoy, uh, some more of your story. Yeah. What do our okay. guys need to know? Well, um, I am in a great season in life. We're actually empty nesters at the moment, but I am in the stress bubble of life in the sense of uh, you try flying the New York, Chicago, uh, Boston market in a snowstorm for a major airline. Oh. Uh, you know, it, it can get crazy out there. And I, I say that just to say, hey, I'm even though I'm 61, I'm very much in the stress bubble of life. Uh, but I'm uh, right now on what I would call an eternal date with my wife. When I come home, it's like, okay, where do you want to go? And so we, we've kind of got this phrase, uh, and we borrowed it from Van Morrison. I tell her, uh, I want to, I want to take you where fl flamingos fly. So I'm, I'm always romancing her. I'm always wanting to take her to these uh, exotic destinations, and. Um, <clears throat> 
so that's a lot of fun. My kids are both grown up now. My daughter's a flight attendant uh, for American down in Miami, and that's wonderful. We get a chance to fly together quite a bit. My son is a chef uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he's married and has a child on the way. Uh, but I would like to kind of go back a little bit into my story. I grew up yeah. in an amazing period of time back in the 60s and 70s in New Jersey. And when you ask an adult about his, his or her childhood, the average age that an adult reverts back to is 10 years old. And that's really that age of wonder that we're talking about. And so when I was coming of age, it was 68, 69. And in New Jersey, you had the riots going on uh, in Newark. Uh, let's see, J RFK, Robert F. Kennedy got shot. Um, you had Martin Luther King got shot. And it was right around that time, you know, the rock and roll is coming out. Um, and all of a sudden, these guys are starting to go now to the moon. And uh, my, my dad at the time was flying recips for an airline. So we were flying around the world in DC-6s and Constellations and things like that. But then the, the jets came out. We were on the cutting edge of the jet age, and we were flying around the world together. And so as a young man... Uh, I was able to get up in the air and see the world as it really looked. And it was a great time to grow up because as the world was a very beautiful, romantic place, I understood we live in a very dangerous world. But one of the amazing experiences I had was uh, we actually went to Vietnam in 69. And my dad took us in a constellation and we flew supplies into our soldiers in Saigon. So we went up to Alaska, then down to Okinawa, refueled, and then into uh, Saigon. And I was out over the uh, Pacific at night. And in this particular airplane, the navigator actually went out and shot the stars. He would go up and look at the constellations and then he would come down and map our cor course across the Pacific. And... If you've ever seen a sunset over the Pacific where this midnight blue descends out of the heavens uh, and the earth just becomes enveloped in this uh, just this darkness. And here we are now beginning to navigate uh, by these stars. And one of the things that captured me was this idea of looking to another world to, to understand how to navigate in this world that we live in. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a great time to, to grow up. It was an amazing experience. So you were navigating before computer systems and GPSs? Yes. I I, I still it still fascinates me. Now, me, I've got to get my Starwalk uh, app out and put them up to the constellations so that I can in fact know for sure exactly where Jupiter is, uh, for sure know where Venus is and things like that. But these guys could go up there, look at the stars, and go down and chart our course over the Atlantic. And there's absolutely no maps for these guys. They're simply navigating by the stars. It was it was unbelievable. That is unreal. So uh, how old were you when you became a pilot? Uh, well, I was um, 16 uh, when I uh, got my license. Uh, I got my permit, so to speak, at 16. At 17, you can actually get your license. And I, I think I was 17... Uh, I, you know, at, you know, in, in the morning and in that afternoon, I got my license. So as early as I could. And it was amazing because I grew up in New Jersey and my dad bought a J3 Cub and I would take my friends in the Cub and we'd go out over Staten Island and I'd go 50 feet over the water, right over the beach. And then I would <laughs> jump up over the Verrazano Bridge and then I would circle around the Statue of Liberty and I would go up the New York Harbor at 700 feet and the Twin Towers would actually be above you when we did that. And I could do that for $7 in gas. That's all I would charge my uh, passengers. Oh my so I became very popular in high school doing that. We had a lot of fun. Oh, man. So, so you say 35 years, but really you've been flying for about 44 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ever since 17 years old. Oh, man, that is so well, I grew up. I grew up in the cockpit. I could literally remember uh, standing up in my dad's lap in a, in a constellation making pictures out of the clouds. So, I mean, I just grew up in the cockpit. Oh, man. We call it a flight attendant now. Flight deck now. Come on. Flight deck. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what the 757 We don't did. want to the be toxic here. Transform the cockpit to the, to the flight deck. But let me tell you, back in the old days, it was the cockpit. Oh, right? yeah. that's yeah, and, and, of course, that was the beautiful thing about being 12 and my dad inviting me up into this very masculine environment. 
you know, and as the sun would go down, the ambient lights would light up in the cockpit and, and, and it would almost like the slide rulers and maps would, would come to life. And you're in there talking with these men and it was just an amazing environment. So now you said earlier on that, that as an, as an adult, as we age, we revert to a 10 year old. No, um, as, as when we talk about our childhood. Oh, okay. Okay, So I'm going to ask you about, tell me about your childhood. The average age that an adult reverts back to is 10 years old. And, and there, and and that's so important because often you get your calling when you're there, you'll begin to understand what it is that, and who you are when you're at 10 years old, because you're, you're undiluted at that point in time. Well, you know, that's interesting. I've, tell me what you think about this. I've always thought that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a 22-year-old body, full set of hair, sweet, rocking the mustache <laughs> again. But I'll have a five-year-old mindset. Would you say, and I'm guessing at five years old, because girls were gross. There was nothing sexual. When I was at 10 years old, yeah, I started liking girls. I mean, so I'm kind of thinking five to 10 is what I'm going to be like in heaven. What are your thoughts on heaven? Well, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I, I think of heaven a lot different than people do i think there's going to be actually a retro division in heaven and there's going to be a 314 flying boat from uh, pan am airlines and me and the lord are going to fly the pacific together and the only question is who's going to who, who's who's going to be sitting in the left seat me or him you know and i'm sure he's such a gentleman that uh, he's going to offer me the left seat but i think that this uh, sense of wonder is going to be fully recaptured in our lives and i actually think you could do that as an adult um, a lot of things kind of get in the way when we, uh, you know, understand that uh, we have a penis, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden the girls start coming in. Uh, we, we start going to college. Uh, we have to get the job. A lot of things get in the way. But I can tell you for sure you could recapture a sense of wonder and who you are uh, as you grow older. I love I love what you just said, that we can recapture a sense of wonder in our lives that that assumes and implies that we've lost it along the way. Do you do you mm-hmm. think that we do you think that life's propensity is for men to lose the sense of awe and wonder? Well, I think this world will beat it out of you, and I think the enemy knows uh, exactly what it is that makes a man's heart come alive, and so there's an assault against that. And unfortunately, so many of us tr- uh, choose uh, stability. Uh, we want to live in the known world. Uh, we want safety and security. We'll choose that over this adventure. Uh, but what they're determining now, uh, and all the best scientists are thinking, is is that they're linking everything from Alzheimer's disease to diabetes on a sedentary, domesticated lifestyle. Um, whereas we were created for movement and adventure, uh, it's, it's that sedentary lifestyle where so many of these diseases come in and, and afflict us. That's so good, man. I'm, I'm uh, reading a book right now with, a, with one of our board members called River of Doubt by Teddy Roosevelt. I'm also reading one of Roosevelt's books called Wilderness Hunter. And I just wrote a, uh, 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 one of our team meetings for our curriculum called The Strenuous Life. And it's off of his strenuous life speech. And I, and I think that American men in particular have bought into a life of comfort They've surrendered, they've surrendered adventure and wonder and movement for comfort and sedentary and slothfulness. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about that? Well, um, if you go back and look at our forefather in the faith, when we think about our story, I go back to Abraham, and I look at him, and I go, okay, uh, th- that's my story. And when God calls Abraham, uh, he says, hey, pick it up, pick everything up. And let's go. We're going on an adventure, uh, and we'll make this stuff up as we go. And you don't really actually have to know where we're going, but let, let's go. And he takes him out into the unknown. And right there, God robs Abraham of predictability. I'd say that's like the number one thing. And we often think that Abraham came from an area where he was a nomad, but the truth was uh, he came from an area called Summer, and it, uh, they have been ex- excavating uh, this place, and it was a very advanced civilization. Uh, they were farming, they were collecting, um, they, they, they had books, they, the, it was an advanced civilization. So when he left that and went out into the unknown, this was a real risk for him. And I'm not sure how we've missed that today, this, this idea of movement. 
But what I would like to say is, is that it's the transformative power of walking with God into the unknown that transforms us. Obviously, Abraham makes a lot of mistakes, but look at his, his life. He turns into the wise old sage uh, that he does, and it's this frontier experience that does it. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You didn't say this, but in Genesis 15, I think, God says, go to the land, I will show you. In other yes. words, it's going to be a land you've never seen. And I thought it was, in, I've been reading the one-year Bible, and I got to, I think, Genesis chapter 17, and it, it says, and Abraham made a covenant with the Lord, and he he killed some animals, and he was sacrificing these animals to the Lord. And it, the Bible says this really weird, obscure verse I thought was, why was this verse here? It says, and the vultures came to eat the meat, but Abraham chased them off. And I right. thought, isn't that so true in life that God mm-hmm. has an adventure for us? A supernatural, risky, yes, a, a wondrous adventure, and then the vultures want to come down in, in the flesh and say, "No, this yes. is the safe way. This is the meat is for eating, not for sacrifice. You know better than that." But this adventure, yes. there's a temptation to rob us of the adventure. So how do? So what? What else can we oh, learn? Okay, from, so yeah, l- yeah. I, I want to stop there for a second because this is so beautiful. What you're talking about, the the first thing that God says to Abraham, he says, "Hey, look at the dust of the earth." He says, "This so shall your nation be," and I, I understand that uh, the the nation that was to come, we're going to be of the earth. We're flesh and blood, but then you have that scene where the animals are divided, and that smoking flask passes through those animals that are separated. And that's a picture of the uh, a crucifixion scene, okay? Ooh, and that's that's Jesus that passes through and that smoking flask through that fire while Abraham is out. But then the next thing, now that you have the crucifixion scene, the next thing that God says to Abraham is he, he says, regarding your nation, he says, now look up. And he says, you see the stars, so shall your nation be. And when... You know, I don't think that that was a mistake, but he was saying, as you look up, you look at the stars. What what do you see when you look up? You see something brilliant. You see something incorruptible. You see something of another world and that this generation that's going to come is going to have one foot on the earth, but they're also going to have another life in them uh, from this other world. And uh, I, I... I think that's the tension we live in. <laughs> we're, we're, we're of the uh, of the earth, but we have this new life uh, living inside of us through Jesus Christ. Well, you said something really powerful earlier, and I'm going to connect it with what you just now said, that Abraham was looking up at the stars. But then you yes. said that when you first started pl- flying a plane, your navigator would look to another world to navigate right. in this world. And essentially right. tying those together, what I hear you saying is, Abraham and men in general, we need to look to another world to navigate this world. Right. Exactly. You, you, you also wrote to me, uh, Jeff, you said that we've gotten it wrong in the modern church today, and I agree with you, because our message to men in the church, which is really why I think men struggle going to church. Dave, friend of mine, David Murrow, wrote a book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, because the message that we give men is, come back next week, don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Stick yeah. around. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. how, how is that a wrong message to men? Well, I think that that's part of our, our journey. I think when someone comes to faith, the best thing to do is to get him in front of a good Bible teacher and uh, soak in the Scripture. There's, there's no question about uh, the Sunday morning service being part of our, our journey. Agreed. But I think the best churches are going to be those who take guys in, train them, and then let them go. That church doesn't become a Sunday morning, doesn't become a destination. It was never intended uh, to be that. But it is a place that we could go for instruction. It is a place that we can go for comfort and to learn the ways of the Spirit. There's no question about that. But you don't want to have a man stay there the rest of his life. And so often we venerate the guys who really kind of just stay in one place, uh, who are good with finances and seem to uh, have their life together. We make those guys the elders. But these are guys so often that really may, might not be out there taking the chances and taking the risks that come along with a, a, a life in God. So there's the further adventure. And so the first half of our life, I really believe that we learn the law 
And that's fine. We learn how to look both ways before we cross the street. We learn how to obey our parents. Uh, we learn how to go to school and obey our teachers and get good grades. And that's all fine. But it's the second half of life where we really need to learn how to navigate by God. And that's where the adventure comes in. And that gets to be the tricky point. Because when God invites you into the second half of life, often he dismantles the life that you're living in the first half of life. And so often your life is falling apart. And really what's going on is you've been chosen by God to a further adventure with him. But you are now going to have to start navigating by a different star. You're going to have to start navigating by this spirit that lives within you. Yeah, that you just reminded me of a story I've 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 just read and heard about. I don't know if it's true, but about eagles molting. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. if this is true. There's some discrepancy, but the, they say an eagle can live up to forty, uh, seventy years. But at forty years, their beak is is crooked and their talons are soft and their their feathers are heavy. And so what they do is they fly away to a, a place, their nest, and there they beat their beak against the rock until the beak is able. They're able to pluck the beak off, and then they take and they 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 take their talons, they pluck their talons out, and then they pluck their feathers out, and then all of that comes back and grows back stronger and new, and then they're renewed, like, yes. and they fly on wings like eagles with renewed strength. Wow. But it happens around midway in life, and I, I don't know yes. if that's true or not, but I'll tell you, it does yeah. say something for men, right? Yeah, oh, there, definitely. There is a dismantling that happens with men. When, when they realize, I've learned all the rules and I've learned all the laws, but now I can make my own rules and my own laws. Well, um, you know, if you look at Paul, he grew up and he learned the law. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. But what happens? One day he meets Jesus, and he doesn't start preaching right away. He takes three years off and goes, hey, I need to rethink this. And so this is that liminal space that men often find themselves when you transition from, from one reality to another. There's always this area of confusion and uh, disorientation, uh, but yet it, it he then begins to navigate by a different star and begins to preach uh, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus came down, the Pharisees didn't really understand him because all they really knew was the first half of life. Yeah. All they really knew was the law. But here comes this life from above, and it looked so different than anything they had experienced up until this point. Yeah, you know, and his message, his message was different, right? He was no longer preaching religion. He was preaching relationship. And, you know, it's really interesting how you and I are oscillating in our discussion between spiritual things and worldly things. And, and what I want our men to realize is, you know, giving your life to Jesus doesn't make you less of a man. It makes you a better man. It makes you more Amen. of a man. Oh, it makes definitely. you able to live a life of wonder. And this oh, yeah. is what guys don't understand. If you want to get out of the rut, give your life yeah. to Christ and he'll ruin your life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. He has no problem ruining it. No. And I'll be the first to experience that uh, or, or tell you about that. But it, think about this. Jesus took 12 men on a three-year high-adventure camping trip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and their life was at risk all the time. Wearing only could sandals. You imagine, <laughs> could you imagine walking with Jesus into a, a synagogue on Sunday and some guy stands up with a crooked arm? And Jesus is going to now stand up and heal him. And you're one of the one of the disciples of Jesus going, oh, here we go. Here we go again. No, don't don't heal him, because as soon as you heal him, we're going to get thrown out of this town right now. Yep, you know, yep. it was a three year high adventure camping trip. He called these guys. on. Yeah. And while only wearing sandals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine the walking those guys did there? They went from down it down all the way down in Judea, all the way up to Galilee in like two days, or climbing to the Mount of Transfiguration, and it was an eight thousand foot elevation gain. I mean, just come on, that's crazy stuff. So, <laughs> these guys were never bored. No, they never, were never bored. Hey, Jeff, no. we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor. Okay. We're going to come right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. 
It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Hey, speaking of a group that was never bored, you know, we're talking about adventure. We're talking about living this life of awe, living a life of wonder. You know, we talked about Abraham. You know, we've talked about your your flight experience. Can we fast forward a little bit to 1620 and what you know about our pilgrims? Yeah, well, I, you know, when you when you look at uh, if you watch Water's World or you watch Jay Leno's Sidewalk Moments, you've got people um, who are asked questions like who saw, who fought in the Civil War, uh, and they can't answer it. Um, when was the War of 1812? <laughs> Nothing, right? Uh, okay, uh, who? Wh- where was the Vietnam War fought? Yeah. Nothing, right? And when I hear that, I really something in my heart sinks because I realize these people don't know the story that you're living in. Yeah. And so as you want to orient yourself to where you are is understanding as at least for us, what country we live in and really the pilgrims, I think exemplified uh, the spirit of adventure and the character also uh, the, the essence of the American character. And so for those people to leave Europe and come out here they knew a lot of them were not going to survive. I think over 90% of the Jamestown expedition had perished within the first few years. Oh, wow. And so they knew as they were coming over, not everyone was going to survive this. And yet they took this adventure with God. And they really had to look up at this point. And then when they hit the shores uh, here, they had an imposing sea behind them and a complete wilderness with wild men living in front of them. And yet they were willing to take this risk uh, so that they could live for God. They felt as if um, he, in fact, was asking them to go. And uh, when you look at the uh, essence of the uh, pilgrims, they were people that believed that the Lord was with them. Uh, They were weaned from the milk of their mother country. They were industrious and frugal. And they had a deep care for one another, a community. And there was no sense of turning back. And I think in that you find the essence of the American character and you could follow that straight through and look at the life of, uh, you know, uh, I think about Whistler's mother uh, looking at that painting that exemplified that character from the pilgrims. But if you look at um, anywhere from Ford to the Wright brothers, they all exemplified that character. And we live in a in a world where you're going to be known for your Protestant work ethic, no matter what's going on culturally. Uh, your Protestant work ethics is going to define you. So understanding your story and the story you're living in, I think it really started with the pilgrims. Well, and it's interesting that you said those those five things, these five antidotes or stories that you've discovered, and I think they apply to manhood, right? A man needs to realize that the Lord is with him. A man needs to be weaned from the milk of his mother— and his yep. father, and to go out on his own. These some of these guys live at home till they're thirty. It's horrible. A man needs to be industrious. He need, and frugal. You know, he needs to be fiercely so while living a life of humility. He needs to have a deep. And I love this. He has needs to have a deep care for others. He needs yeah. to be in a in yeah. community. So to have this yeah. lone ranger mentality, or I can do it on my own, or I'm a rugged individualist. That is not how our, our forefathers did it. They were very involved in community, and to realize that manhood is about never turning back. We don't, we don't revert to male. We, we, you know, and so those are really wow. good points. I really appreciate that. So, so what about, um, let's, so we go, we've talked about the pilgrims. Let's fast forward and look at adventure some more. Let's look at the uh, Lewis and Clark expedition. How does okay. that apply to our lives today? That was a risk. Uh, we're out in the Northwest, man. Everything up yeah. here is oh, Lewis and Clark. Oh, oh you, you were the destination for yes. that. And so uh, <laughs> obviously uh, Napoleon was really struggling in Europe. And so he, he needs to fund his military operations. So he, sells this track of land to Jefferson and Napoleon had no idea what he was selling and Jefferson really had no idea what he was buying. And so we know the story. He sends Lewis and Clark out there and they literally were going to go out to try to find the Northwest Passage. It was the last expedition to look for the Northwest Passage. 
Jefferson wanted Meriwether Lewis to bring back Woolly Mammoth. Uh, That's they, they funny. That they were living out there. So they had no idea what was out there. <laughs> and so they knew about where St. Louis was, and they knew about the Pacific Coast from people who had sailed out there, but they didn't know what was out there in, in between that zone. And uh, for a period of time, I was a guide at Monticello. And I think of all the things that you could look at, the election of 1800, the Enlightenment, the revolution, the forming of our government, the thing that captured me the most were these men traveling out beyond their maps uh, to uh, find this Northwest Passage and what they found out. And so while they were going to go out beyond their maps, Jefferson has to teach Murray Weather Lewis how to shoot his longitude by looking at the moons going around Jupiter. Again, they have to look to another world to find out and navigate this one. And when they actually shot their longitude, they actually hit it within 50 miles by looking at the moons. There's four moons that go around Jupiter. And so um, this expedition was amazing. And I just want to talk for a minute about the transformative power of this um, the, this frontier experience in the sense that so many of these guys, when they came, they were young. They had to be young and strong in order to be able to uh, accomplish this expedition. And often um, they had to be trained because they fell asleep on guard duty. Uh, they drank to drunkenness and they slept with Indian women and, and got syphilis. And so Lewis and Clark at one point actually had to beat them uh, into submission. Uh, but eventually they began to work as a team. And so they knew whose cough it was in the middle of the night. They knew whose footsteps approached the fireplace that they were around. And, uh, you know, they knew who took salt on their meat and who didn't. But furthermore, when, when it really came right down to it, they knew who could light a fire in the rain, who could run the fastest when you had to get a message from one party to the other, and who was the best shot if a grizzly was approaching the camp. And so these men who were individuals uh, became a real fighting force, and there was a love between these men so significant that eventually they would have taken a bullet from one another. And so this is the party that makes their way across the country, and it's a fascinating expedition. And I would highly recommend the book uh, Undaunted Courage uh, by uh, Stephen Ambrose. Ooh, Undaunted, Undaunted Courage. I love Stephen Ambrose. Yeah. And they actually did a uh, – Ken Burns did a series that you could watch on the Lewis and Clark expedition that's fascinating. So what you, – you talked about these guys being young. So how many men were in this expedition and what was their average age roughly? Yeah, so they were in their young. Uh, they, they were in their twenties. Uh, there were actually twenty-four initially, uh, and the amazing thing is, is they only lost one guy on the expedition, and they think it was because of an appendicitis. And so somehow these guys made it uh, on on this journey. And w one of the things that I thought was fascinating it was that they would be sitting around the campfire in very perilous situation where there were Indians around them wishing to wipe them out. Uh, and they talked about, and the way they survived, they talked about when they were going to get back home, what they were going to do with the money that they had, and they were going to get from this expedition. But the truth of it was, they were living life to its top when they were on their adventure, out on the frontier, and not knowing whether they were going to live from one day to the next. Living life on its top. Is that what you said? Yeah. Living life its on top. its top. So fully alive. And you said earlier, and you said it, and you kind of moved over this, but I want you to go back and explain it. You said they were traveling beyond their map. So they're living on the frontier. And, and so as we listen to this podcast, how would you encourage our men to travel beyond their maps? What are some things that you would say to our guys? Oh, okay. So uh, when Lewis and Clark went out on this expedition, two out of three Americans were living within 50 miles of the Atlantic Ocean. They were living in the known. They yeah. were living in safety. Yet it was this expedition that brought everybody to its feet. And everybody was wondering what was out there. And in a sense, this is what it looks like to live like an artist. An artist goes out into the unknown, finds out what's out there, and then comes back and tells everybody what, what's out there. And this, again, I think is the essence of the American character. This is the thing that actually unifies our country as opposed to dividing us is this idea of the frontier. We're all excited for people to go out beyond their maps and come back and tell us what they've found out. 
So how what does that look like for uh, our average guy driving to work, listening to this podcast? What would you say to him to encourage him to live beyond his personal maps? Well, I could tell you the invitation is going to come. And that invitation to go beyond your maps is going to look either one or two, uh, one or two ways. One is you have a burning desire for change. You're very discontent with where you're at right now, maybe even angry or hostile. The other, uh, that's an invitation uh, to go beyond your maps, okay? The other uh, way this is going to happen is if your life completely disintegrates. You, you, you felt as if you had it all together, and all of a sudden your life comes apart at the seams. That's that dismantling invitation that God will offer you to bring you into the next second half of life, let's say. So one of two things. One is an invitation, and two is a disintegration. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's it, how it, we know it's going to happen. So it's we call that happen. yeah we call that a midlife he's crisis gonna, maybe. Oh, definitely. He's gonna he's gonna give you an offer uh, to take everything you know and go. Okay, now let's go out there and really use it. And so this is what the frontier does for you. Uh, in um, in 1893, Frederick Jackson Turner wrote a paper on the frontier and the significance of the American frontier. It's called. Everyone should read this document. But um, what, it, what he said was it was the frontier that made Americans out of Europeans. It took them from Europe. They, they came over on a boat. They eventually then got on a train and came out as far west as they could. But eventually it was a stagecoach. And sure enough, eventually they were living in a birch canoe, uh, surviving on their wits and their gun. And it was the transformative power of this frontier and walking with God. And again, it's really that place where you pray your first real prayers because you just don't know whether you're going to make it or not. That's that's when you know you're on the frontier, when you don't know whether you're going to live or not. Wow. So so I guess they have a third option. They have uh, the option of rejection. So invitation, disintegration, but then yeah. they can choose to reject it. So what's the danger when a yeah. man rejects the frontier yeah. of his life for the safety of his couch and living room. I'm going to say one word, addictions. I really think that's where addictions come from. Uh, I think when you look at a man who's caught in addictions, don't look at trying to get his life right. Rather, look at what adventure did he not take? Where has he tried to play it safe? Because that adventurous spirit works its way out in very deleterious uh, ways uh, if, if you don't walk with God. And so I really believe that's where, that's where, again, addictions come from. There was a point on the Lewis and Clark adventure when they came across the Rocky Mountains, they were a lot taller than they thought they were going to be. <laughs> they thought they would only be as tall as the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it was, it was starting to get into a late summer, and uh, Meriwether Lewis understood that if they don't get horses right away and get over those mountains, the whole expedition stood a chance of breaking up uh, right there yeah. on the east side of the Rocky Mountains. And so often that's the, the, the choice we have. Either we go over those, those mountains into the unknown or we stand a chance of the whole expedition breaking up right in front of our own eyes through boredom and addictions. Yeah, when you, I'm glad you used the word boredom. You know, we see that with King David, right? Here's a giant slayer who... Uh, the Bible says when the kings, as a king now, when the kings went out to war, King David chose to rest and lounge on the roof, and that's where the Bathsheba uh, and the adulterous uh, uh, incident occurred, and the and the ultimate murder of um, yeah uh, yeah oh gosh I just blanked on his name who do, who do, uh, Bathsheba says Uriah, Uriah the Hittite yeah 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 and so this boredom thing I, I, I that's really powerful man so if if guys yeah, are struggling and, and, and again. Uh, with David, when was he most alive? I think it was when he was out there in the cave of Adullam, yeah. on the run from Saul, mm -hmm. and 400 guys joined themselves to David. They were in debt, depressed, and generally discontented. And they were in a perfect place to bow their knee to a type of Christ, which was David at that point, and start to run with him. They were running in the wilderness, apart from the religious system, out there, uh, you know, and they started to protect the area uh, in the wilderness out there. So, um, again, these guys were most alive on the adventure, not knowing whether they were going to live or not. Well, and if you look at the Psalms, how many Psalms were written while he was on the run? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's when you're That's fully alive. Stuff. 
It's when you're creative. <laughs> it's when you're fully alive. It's when you're engaged. You know, that's what people yeah. don't realize. When I'm when I'm afraid, when I'm locked into to something new, I'm fully engaged. I'm fully alive. Look at an injury. You know, uh, when you get injured, you're fully engaged in that moment. There's no, mm-hmm. you're in pain. Yeah. You're focused. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times as men, we 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 have bought into this lie, Jeff. I, this is what I hear you saying. We have bought into the lie in America that comfort is king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not or adventure. The, or um, a life that has a wonderful bank account, all the numbers look good, uh, a beautiful house that's been newly painted, uh, uh, the uh, just the portfolio looks good. We, we have a tendency to look at that as God's blessing. And I, I personally, I, I see it a lot, a lot different. Well, and you, if you look at the truth in the matter, as we get older and as our kids leave the house and as we realize, man, I can't maintain it all, how many people do we see downsizing? Yeah. And we grow, yeah. grow, 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 and then downsize. Well, maybe if we started on the yes. downsized end, we'd have the freedom to, quoting you from earlier in the podcast, travel light. Like, and that's really the key. And that's a whole nother podcast because I would really love to talk about that. We try to take on so much that we can't fully handle. And we wonder why our lives don't appear as good as all those commercials we're watching on TV. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, that's that's a whole nother podcast. No, and I think we need to have a podcast and talk about that. You know, I was with my middle son Darby the other day and we pulled up to our house. We'd got done hunting, I think. And he said, you know, dad, I've been thinking, I have a lot of friends that have bigger home. We have a nice home. It's nice. It's a 2000 square foot home. It's average in McMinnville. He goes, I've been thinking, we don't have all the stuff that a lot of our friend, my friends have, you know, we don't have boats. We don't have trailers. He goes, but, but we've had more experiences than any of my friends. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. see, to me, I'm going, that's what it's about. It's about the adventure. It's about the experience because in the safety yeah. of RVs and trailers and boats and houses and multiple cars and all these things, you have now you have to invest your time in taking care of all of that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can't travel light anymore. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that because the way I'm I'm looking at my retirement, I had spent eight years on long term disability, and so my retirement's not going to look like it should. But I'm rich in experiences and I'm rich in friends. And that's how I measure wealth. And I can honestly say that the best years of my life were those downsizing years that you talked about. When we just we just sold it all and we moved into a much smaller house and we traveled. I think that's when we were the happiest. Well, think about it. What 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 are the things what are the only things we can take to heaven with us? Our experiences and our relationships. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I'm, yeah. I, I know that we'll have some memory of Earth. I mean, so I know that we'll have some kind of experiential component when we cross yes. over. We won't come into God to heaven and go, oh, I have amnesia. <laughs> you know, I think we'll have knowledge of, of stuff. Oh, and oh so, definitely. Um, you know, and Jesus alluded to that with your, you know, there, there's no, nobody or, nobody's married or given in marriage. I think I'm going to look at Shanna as a, as a 20-year-old with my five-year-old mentality and go, oh, you're, you look like you're fun to play with. I remember you. But just be her <laughs> buddy for eternity. You know what I'm saying? There's no marriage. So I don't know. I'm just, well, I can't figure it out. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like I'm going to be hanging out with uh, David's mighty men when I get to heaven, and I don't want my life looking very boring at all when I'm sitting at the table with those guys. So um, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking t- to the future. Um, but hey, there's one more thing I want to talk about when it comes to frontier. And I remember where I was in '69 when those guys landed on the moon. That was my next and, question. <laughs> and I, I looked up there and I said, "And this is our generation, so the frontier still exists." Yeah, uh, totally. So, uh, and I looked at those guys on the moon and I thought, "Okay, that's exactly what I want to do. Uh, I want to, I want to fly, and I want to go out into the unknown uh, <clears throat> and have that much significance." And so um, fast forward uh, from that experience when I was 12, and it was in the early 90s, I was flying a 757. And the 757 was, the, again, the first airplane that went from a cockpit to a flight deck. It had all the flat screens and multicolor. And everybody that got on the airplane, they would crank their neck around and want to look up into the cockpit of the Starship Enterprise. And so <laughs> it, it, it was not unusual to see people uh, with – standing in the doorway. So one day I'm loading up the computers for the next leg of the journey. And I turn around and there's a, 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 an older man. I can see his silhouette in the doorway. And I'm looking at uh, this and 
I, I don't think much of it. I turn around, I, I finished loading the computer and I, I turn back around and he's still standing there. So I said, Hey, come on up. And he comes up, he shakes my hand. He says, Hey, just want to thank you for getting this big airplane in this small airport, uh, Washington national. You guys do a fantastic job. And he introduces himself as Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm going, oh, no, actually, you're the one who started this whole thing for me. Yeah. And we had this love fest in the cockpit and <laughs> it was a tremendous experience. And he gives me this um, he gives me this picture of him on the moon and he writes on it Ad Astra. And for years, I had no idea of what that meant. But um, I, I found it in the Nelson DeMille book call, uh, called The Quest. And they were toasting a, a Latin toast. And the toast is ad astra per aspra. And that means through adversity to the stars. Hmm. Wow. And so here was this sage telling me, okay, you love seeing us walk on the moon. Let me tell you how we got there. We got there through adversity. And it was such a, an important lesson for me because, sure enough, a few years after that, my life was about to disintegrate. Everything I, 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 I held in great value was about to fall apart. And um, I think that's the, one of the really important things uh, about that and, and that we shouldn't look at things that happen in our lives and tragedy um, as showstoppers or disqualification. But we need to look at them as an invitation forward. So, so many of these astronauts, they, they lost men on the flight line as they were testing jets. Um, even they lost three guys on the pad on one of the Apollo missions, Gus Grisham and White being two of them, uh, burned up on the, on the pad right there, right before these guys were going to go up to the moon. So these guys knew the sacrifice that they were making in order to go up there. But what was so beautiful about that whole experience was on Apollo 8, when they were uh, uh, circumnavigating the moon, those guys stood up there and read the uh, Genesis account uh, to, to their audience and uh, where God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, what, what's interesting about Abraham, I want to tie these two together uh, as we uh, kind of put this whole context together. Um, when, when, they, when they were excavating um, the summer where on the Euphrates River, where Abraham was from, there was a raised area there. And that raised area was the Temple of the Moon because it was closer to the, to the moon and to the stars. That's where they worshiped the stars. And so where they looked at the moon, the moon had a 30-day cycle. Uh, a woman had a 30-day cycle, but the woman eventually died, but the moon stayed up there. It was eternal. So they were worshiping the moon. So when God calls Abraham and says to him, hey, look up, uh, so shall your nation be, he's telling them, hey, those stars up there, you're not subject to them. Uh, they're subject to you, actually. And I'm beyond the stars. And so one of the greatest things about our nation and the uh, frontier experience and going to the moon was to have these astronauts go up to the moon and actually look back and give the account of Genesis uh, to to the rest of the universe, really, who were watching these guys. And it was our country, the great U.S. of A., who actually went up to the moon and said, no, actually, the greatest place to be around here isn't the moon. That looks like a desolate place. It's the good earth right there, this wonderful globe, this blue globe out there. It was a tremendous uh, experience for them to see it from that uh, that perspective. And that's one of the beautiful things. And that's, that's our story. That's the country we live in. I, I think that's so impressive that you know this stuff. And I, I just want to affirm this, that, you know, that we, uh, you're saying, look to the, you said this earlier in the podcast, look to another world to navigate our world. Then I'm hearing you say just now, look, we need to look to the eternal to navigate right. the temporal. Right. And exactly. so, and so, and, and that only comes through adversity. And, and I love what you said there. And, uh, you know, there's a verse that I, I'm reminded of just now in James chapter one, verse two, he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and endurance mm -hmm. must have its full effects that you may be perfect, complete and lacking nothing. And so, so we need to opt as men for the life of adversity and adventure instead of comfort and control. Is that what I'm hearing? 
without a doubt. And one of the things I would like to say to anybody whose life seems to be coming apart at the seams, for all that you have tried uh, your best uh, to get it right, um, I would I would say, if especially if you're in your 40s, um, this is an invitation. You've been chosen. Uh, this is actually a good thing. And I love talking to guys like that. You know, if you're in church on Sunday morning and taking notes and things are going well, uh, you're 30 years old. I say amen. Uh, and, and I only start to get interested in a guy's life when it starts to fall apart because yeah. I know God's afoot. It's, yeah. This is an invitation from God. You know, hey, there's a further journey here. Um, I, I want to give in one flying analogy that I, I think is really significant. Um, I made a transition from Boeing to Airbus a, a couple of years ago, and this has a GPS system on it that's to die for. And there are what we call RNAV approaches where we uh, literally have to deselect ground-based equipment uh, to go celestial and navigate by satellites only. And uh, I'd get down to that procedure at that point in the procedure and the co-pilot would say to me, hey, do you want to deselect ground-based equipment? And I would always go, no, I've been, I've been using it all my life. I, I, l- l- let's keep the ground-based equipment. Let's not deselect. I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a fearful thing to go yeah. celestial. Yeah. Okay. So one day I'm shooting this particular approach that is so intense. It's called an RMP approach. I literally have to deselect ground-based equipment because um, it's going to actually impede the approach. Uh, we're winding our way through some dangerous terrain. And I literally have to deselect. And with fear and trepidation, I hit the deselect button. And as soon as I hit it, up on my computer screen pops up that I have 19 satellites that I'm navigating <laughs> off of. I am navigating off of far superior uh, performance than I would off these ground the ground-based equipment. And but it takes it takes it, it's it's with fear and trembling that we begin to navigate that way. Isn't it funny? There's an element of trust. Sometimes, you know, what is it? What's that saying? When you get to the end of the rope, tie a, tie a knot and hang on, and you, you're you're forced you're forced to deselect. Yes. So let let me conclude. I've really had a great time today with you, Jeff. So I want to conclude with a uh, a quote that you really know well. It's from Erwin McManus, and Erwin said mm-hmm. this. And I want you to talk about this quote as we end our podcast. You are most fully alive when you are on an adventure with God. Amen. Amen. I love it. So, hey, 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 thanks so much for coming on our show today, uh, taking your time to share your wisdom experience. And we do want to get you back on the show and talk about Traveling Light one of these days. And when you write okay. your book, when you write your book, we'll yes, come sir. back on and really help you promote this is, it. This has been a wonderful experience for me getting ready for this because I definitely have one. I need to put it together. So, Jim, thank you. And Dale, thank you so much. And um, I love talking to guys whose lives are falling apart. So, uh, if anybody, writes in and says, hey, can I talk to this guy? I'm happy to do that. Hey, better yet, why don't you give us an email address right now? Uh, okay, so uh, J, and then it's my last name, A-N-D-R-E-C-H-Y-N at gmail.com. So you can happy reach out to, talk to, to you. Yep, he'd love to talk to you guys. Guys, hey, we will, we like to end our podcast with what we call our boots on the ground moment. This is a moment when we, we take the next step. What's next? You heard the podcast. You're going to click the button, turn it off, go to the next podcast, or are you going to do something about what you've heard today? Jeff's got a lot of wisdom and knowledge and experience. So here is our boots on the ground moment for you. In 2019, we want you to plan an adventure. Maybe it's joining me on a 45-mile death ruck in two days on June 22nd, 23rd. Maybe it's getting scuba certified. Maybe it's taking your wife on a dream vacation. Maybe it's going back to school for you. Maybe it's a new career launch. Maybe it's starting that job you dreamed about for the last 40 years, and now you're 50 years old, and you are in a rut. Whatever it is, we want to encourage you and challenge you to take an adventure. So, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to post this. Uh, we're going to post this on our Men in the Arena Facebook forum for you to share with the men on that page, the thousands and thousands of men for, that represent 85 nations on that page. Share that with us. Let's encourage one another, and let's do something big for God in 2019. Let's live the adventure. Let's battle through adversity. And I will post that also. I'll post that Boots on the Ground assignment on our weekly equipping blast that you can get if you go to our homepage, meninthearena.org. Uh, you can uh, 
If you just give us your email address, we'll send you a free copy of my electronic version of the field guide, our 365-day bathroom book for men, and we will add you to our equipping blast. You've been listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. We have some amazing resources to help you in your journey to becoming your best version and living the adventure. Make sure you download the free Men in the Arena app with tons of resources to help you on your journey, and make sure you join the Men in the Arena Closed Facebook forum for men. Until next time, guys, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Climb high. Fly long. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email, and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible and explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode, the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.